2: I will not be handed a rod with a fish already on it. I hate that. God, I hate that.
0: If I were on a sinking boat and I had a great white on the starboard side and I had a mako on the port side, I would jump off the
2: side of the great white.
1: Did you ever try and catch any of the fish in your fish tank when you were a kid?
2: You can't flush it because it would be like flushing a metal porcupine. You can run it over with a truck and it'll be fine. (laughs) Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that just wants you to go to the end of the pulpit so you can give the uh, dink walleye it just caught a little more scale. I'm Joe Surmelli, And I'm Hayden Samek. And I have a, uh,
1: a sneaking suspicion, I guess, of what's about to happen.
2: <laughs> well, look, you kind of set yourself up for it a few weeks ago when I, when I said I'm not talking about bull trout and I'm talking about sharkin. And, yeah. and what, what was perhaps a moment of weakness for you on the show, you said you didn't know what I was talking about. That is what you said <laughs> at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I did say that, and uh, y- yes, following that episode, I actually uh, there were like four or five folks who like lit me up on the old Insta Slam, uh, like just giving me shit for not instantly recognizing that that was from. It was the bull trout thing that threw me off. You know what I mean? Okay. The, uh, You're right. It, and I defended myself and let everyone know that I have, in fact, I've seen jaws.
2: I know, I know. I, I like know that Jaws. you did that. It's a good movie. But it, but it. I know, and I know you and did Jaws that. Jaws 4 is
1: my favorite.
2: Oh, God, that's <laughs> terrible. You did jump on there and, and oh, defend yourself talking. and say, I have seen it, but it wasn't good enough, was it?
1: No, no, no. And you're an asshole. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was one guy that said uh, that we need to have a, a Jaws quiz or something on Ben to test my knowledge. And. Uh, I mean, we talked a little yeah. bit earlier, but I, I think that that's where this is. You, you asked me a question uh, that was very, like, niche Jaws, and I was like, shit, he's lining up a quiz.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, Dude, I absolutely am. Uh, and that one guy specifically was at Money Mustache. And I don't need more than one listener comment to get me to create a Jaws quiz. And I think that this is important, man. Right, your reputation is a a bit on the line. And I'm not saying you haven't seen Jaws, but around here, like you don't just see Jaws; like you absorb it. You make life decisions around its teachings. It becomes a part of you. So we're gonna we're gonna see, thanks to Money Mustache, uh, how, how well you really know Jaws. Fine.
1: <laughs> Fine. Thanks, Money Mustache. Uh, what do I win if I like?
2: say I hit it out of the uh, park what do I win if you if you get them all right uh I all right I will send you I will send you a selection of hard baits from our glorious sponsors 13 fishing including one of their loco special jerk baits that I added a hint of customization to how about that
1: you know I have pretty much all of uh 13 stuff <laughs> I want a uh, I want a a, a jaws inspired articulated streamer deal. That's, that's why I I we come up with that. And and one more thing. Getting them all right is, is a high bar. I need like some leeway. Like what, what is like the passing grade here? What is my
2: C plus? I would say so. All right, so here's what I've done. Mm-hmm. I've devised four questions and they're they're ranging in in, in degree of difficulty. Will start easy and get harder. Um and I would I would like to say, first of all, I want you to succeed. I want you to ace this. <laughs> But so you know, there's no inside baseball here. They're not like things that like only like the highest caliber Jaws freak would know happen behind the scenes or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like these can all be answered simply by watching the film and paying attention. And I would say, I don't know, man. It's only four questions. Three out of four. Okay. you want yep. to fail? Yep, that seems Is reasonable. that fair? Yep, that seems reasonable. Okay. All right. Okay. So here we go. Uh, folks at home, please play along. I'm, I'm oh God, I'm enjoying this so much. This was so fun. <laughs> All right. Question number one. Um, and also, I'm not giving you multiple choice because that might jog your memory. or You might just guess. And that's not that's not proof positive that, you know, the answer to these questions. So, no, you know, maybe take a wild stab if you don't know one. Question number one. Tell me on which naval warship did Quint serve during World War Two? Um, OK, it was the one
1: that went down by sharks. Uh, And that's Mm, the origin of of his hatred. Or it didn't go down by sharks, but it was the one. I think it was in the Pacific. Japanese
2: sub slammed two torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. Eleven hundred men went in the water. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I remember it. Um, Shit. (laughs) I wish the people could see you on the computer right now. Like he is legit agonizing. There's a bead of sweat. I guess I could give you partial credit. Like, I, I, I remembered it, it. I
1: remember like that. I forget what the ship is called. What is the ship uh, called? It's, it's, give me a 50%. US
2: 50%? Yeah, give me a 50% that on mean? that one. So like if I uh, half ass another one. Okay, I'll give you 50%. It right. was the USS Indianapolis. Oh shit.
1: Say? I, I wish I just knew my naval history better. Man, I remembered the event. I couldn't <laughs> recall like the name. All right, next
2: question. Oh, uh, that was the easy one. All right. Uh how much was Quint charging the mayor to catch and kill the shark? $10,000. Oh, you got that one. Good on you. That is correct. He'd find it for 3. Kill it but for catch 10. it and yeah. kill it for 10. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. All right. Doing good. Doing good. Uh all right. What specific material did Quint use as a bite leader in his shark rigs? <laughs> That would be the question, man. Um, piano wire. That's correct. That yep. cr- was that a guess? Uh, no, d- I, I, I remembered it. I remembered <laughs> it being like something obscure,
1: and then I thought, what was like the only thing that would be obscure and that could also be used as a leader? And I thought piano wire. So
2: so there's a, talking about inside baseball, there's a deleted scene where they show him buying spools of it in the local music shop that got cut, but even on the boat, he uh, gives Hooper a hard time when when Hooper says it was a stingray and he says stingray bit through that piano wire so it is mentioned in the film piano wire is correct and serious shark guys after the fact were like that's the dumbest thing piano wire sucked like that was just you know completely <laughs> for you know drama and spice nobody ever really used piano wire okay last one you're uh, you're you're doing you're doing good i like it In the scene where Hooper and Brody are dissecting the tiger shark that they thought was the Mm man-eater, Hooper pulls a license plate from its stomach. What state is it from? Okay, well...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amity's supposed to be in Massachusetts, right? Correct. But I don't think it would be from Massachusetts. Mm Hmm. Do mm-hmm. you remember where
2: they said it swam up from? No. Well,
1: right, I'll New give York. You one hint. New York.
2: I'm saying New York. I don't know. Okay, it was Louisiana, sportsman's paradise. Oh, it's a tiger shark, not a white shark. It's a tiger shark, they said. You know, probably Shit. swam up from the Gulf Stream from southern waters. Oh. <sighs> And, you know, you can buy those license plates online. They're, okay. They're, they're, it's, it's very cool. Hmm. That wasn't bad, though, dude. That wasn't bad. I'm a little – I'm more I'm more depressed about the Indianapolis than the license plate. That was a hard one. You got to really be paying attention to know the license plate. Yeah. But that was pretty good. Yeah. Can I get, like, a bonus question? I really want this streamer. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you what. I will tie you the streamer. Aw. Anyway, just for being a good sport and playing along. Oh, thanks, Joe. I I appreciate that. That 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 was uh that was pretty fun, man. All I'm gonna do is cut some yellow foam into the shape of a barrel and super glue it to a hook. So it'll only take a hot minute. As long as it's articulated, I don't care.
1: (laughs) You (laughs) know, actually wait, that would be the ultimate. You tie a bunch of little barrels onto hook shanks and articulate like the whole thing, make it the chain of barrels.
2: Oh man, you're going to get me in trouble because now people are going to be like, you have to do that and I'm going to have to spend time doing that. Anyway, that was fun. Uh, Money mustache. There you go. Okay. It was 50%, 50, 75% if we give him a little bit for the first one. Uh, But hell, look! why not keep the fun and the trivia going? This all rolls beautifully into a trivia segment I recorded a while back, um, pre hayden Times, that's okay, with our good buddy and, and Mako angler extraordinaire Conway Bowman. And like Jaws, these questions marry shark fact with Hollywood shark fiction. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Joining me today for trivia, my old buddy Conway Bowman is back. What's going on, man? How are you? Joe, I'm doing well, man. Hanging in there. Excellent, excellent. So uh, just to recap, you are a pioneer fly fishing for mako sharks, guided all over the world, written all kinds of books, been in all kinds of TV shows. And the first time I had you on, we did covering water. We did the rapid fire thing and and really got to know who you were. We learned that you don't like largemouth bass, (laughs) that you... Love Bodie in Point Break, and are um, a big. You took Black Flag over Social Distortion, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, and I admire that. So we're gonna do we're gonna do regular trivia today. So it, it, this is multiple choice, right? Not rapid fire. You can take all the time that you need, sort of bar room style. Um, and uh, just so you know, there's 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 nothing to. You can lose some dignity, but you win nothing. I have no <laughs> prize for you if you if you ace both of these. Okay, but. Um, I think, I, think uh, well, I, I, I really try to, like, tailor these questions to my guests, you know, like, really drill down on, on who you are. So hopefully I, I did a good job here. So are you ready to play? Yes. Trivia. Yes. All right. Here we go. We'll do two questions today. Here comes number one. Short fin mako sharks are one of the fastest sharks in the ocean. As you know, they can also be very aggressive, which has led people to wonder how dangerous they are to humans. The International Shark Attack File, or ISAF, is kept up to date by the Florida Museum. So the question is, between the years of 1580 and 2017, how many unprovoked Mako attacks on humans does ISAF have on file? Keep in mind, we're not talking about Marty and Artie getting bit bringing one into the boat right. off Montauk. These are completely unprovoked attacks. Is it A, 3, B, 10, C, 1, or D, 6? Three. The answer is actually 10. Ooh. Now, I question... The accuracy of those distant records, they say this is accurate going back to the late 1500s. But according to the uh, ISAF, 10 people have had unprovoked attacks by Makos in a whopping 437 years. So actually, like they're one of, even though they're mean looking bastards, they're one of the least dangerous sharks to humans. Well, that's really interesting. I, I think um, uh, the because they inhabit deeper water, if, uh, believe me, if a Mako shark inhabited shallower water, right. they would be. Spe- right they're, they're just really not where people are right as part of the they, deal they're an open water fish to be honest with you if i were on a sinking boat and i had a great white on the starboard side and i had a mako on the port side and they were yeah.
0: equal size i would jump off the side of the great white hands down wow just because Good to
2: know because that uh, was a hot tip right there the, if you're ever in that mega situation. sharks are so crazy unpredictable goofy they are like they're, they're right they're scary Okay, well, uh, speaking of having a shark on the starboard side, we'll go on to our next question here. We'll keep up with our shark theme. Ready for this one? Yeah. In, in the classic 1990 rom-com, Joe vs. the Volcano, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan do a little trolling off the sailboat that's taking them to the island of Waponi Wu, where you might recall the natives drank nothing but orange soda. Anyway, <laughs> Hanks only catches one fish during that trolling session, and it's a shark. Which kind of shark was it? A, a great white, B, a tiger shark, C, a black tip, D, a hammerhead hammerhead Did you get is that a guess or do you know that That's a guess That's correct That's correct I w- <laughs> <laughs> because it's so Hollywood because it looks cool it's a hammerhead Well <laughs> I'm getting the impression you're not too familiar with Joe versus the Volcano which many it. people are not Oh that's a shame <laughs> It's not really cuz it's a shitty movie but it, I think it's a shame cuz I was going to say bonus question what does the hammerhead shark do when Hanks hooks it You wouldn't know that but it bends its eyes inward to look right at him and it roars, which is very, very Hollywood. Wow. Um, anyway, dude, um, no, so that's, you're, you're one for two. You're one for two. You just got lucky on Joe vs. the Volcano. Your homework next time we talk <laughs> is you have to see that movie and watch all the bonus features, if there are any, on the Blu ray. Tonight, I'll be watching with the kids. <laughs> Are you going to tell me that I have to watch uh, Joe versus the volcano now? I mean, I mean, you should, right? It's no Turner and Hooch, but I do highly recommend it. Uh, but no, 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 no. Knowing Knowing Joe versus the volcano inside and out is not a requirement to be my friend, so it's okay. You don't I have know, to. You don't have you to rent Joe, it. Blockbuster. I don't want to be your friend, man. I don't. I don't, <laughs> don't want to be your friend. At least not for the next
1: twenty to twenty five minutes while I'm kicking your ass in that <laughs> weekly competition we like to call. Fish News.
2: Fish News!
0: That escalated quickly.
2: So before we get all newsy, guess what? We are happy to inform you, in case you haven't figured it out already, that there is now a line of new bent merchandise in the Meat Eater store. Woo! (laughs) yes sir we we've been getting asked about that since uh about a week after this podcast first launched Uh, but anyway it's finally here uh so what have we got we've got the degenerate angler hoodie with the bent logo over the back shoulder which i i find that to be like very boston hardcore i love the placement of the logo on the uh, back shoulder we've got degenerate angler t-shirts and we also have a fresh design courtesy of um noted fish tattoo artist Drew Wilson. Nice that I'm pretty pumped about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really captures what Ben is all about, I'd say. You know, it's a small That's mouth. The point. And in yes. its mouth yes. is a it's a broken off streamer and a popper and a and a
2: live hellgrimite. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like we, we we're we're kind of like we don't give a shit how you fish. That's what we're all about mm-hmm. here. Like all are welcome. Uh, peace, love, and harmony. If you throw flies, poppers, uh, and live bait all in the same day, that's totally cool with us. So that design from Drew sort of sort of captures the Ben ethos, I would say.
1: I I agree. And uh, it, hey, Joe, before we move on here, man. Um, yeah, yeah, we got to kind of address something. This is sort of serious. Um, at Ben here, like we like to joke around, and I've realized recently that we've crossed the line with uh,
2: something that we've said. Um, You're making me extremely nervous because I could think of like ten things in the last three episodes. Well,
1: we at Ben uh, continuously joke about how unfun Wall are to catch, and I gotta say, Joe, I was totally. Oh, don't f- apologize wrong. for that. <laughs>
2: they don't fight. That's the big apology? Dude, I... I, (laughs) Bullshit. I stand by Oh, I I want want to
1: apologize to Seth and Chester in particular because, man, I was out on the ice the other day, and Joe, I caught my first walleye ever through the ice. Congratulations. And you'll never forget it. Your arms still hurt. Honestly, man, you know, I was kind of delighted, man. You know, we... So first off, it's
2: ridiculous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> first off, and I, I mean, I know that may surprise people that I've never caught a walleye. Um, I think that there are a lot of fish that you know people would expect folks to catch, and, and like are just like kind of like a. I don't know, a species that just kind of evades them for like one reason or another. Maybe it was like a lack of interest in going out for. Maybe it was something that you've tried
2: a couple Other times. Other more interesting catch. fish swimming in the oh, same shut waters up. that they well, wh- swim in. What's, what's a fish, <laughs>
1: Joe? I, well, actually, this would be a good question for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, what is a fish that it seems like everybody but you has caught? Well, like like a fish that you would be expected to catch, but for whatever reason have not, like maybe like a catfish, like a flathead or something like that. Maybe uh, maybe somebody would expect you to have caught I don't know pike or something. Do you have one of those?
2: Um, man, the one that comes to mind. People are always surprised that I've never caught a burbot. Hmm. I um.
1: I recently saw my first burbot being caught. Uh, yeah. Two days ago, with uh, my buddy Sam Lundgren. Mm-hmm. Um. You've never caught a bourbon?
2: No, I've just never uh, well, been on the ice go where, where yeah. they are. Northern Michigan, I've had some invites. I've had some invites, I just haven't gotten there. But don't let's enough about me. I want I want to hear more oh, okay, quickly yeah. about why this walleye was so memorable and why you're apologizing. Because every time I've caught a walleye through the ice, even a big one, mm-hmm. right? Were you were you using a flasher? Yes, I was. Okay. So that's exciting. You see him on the flash. You're like, oh, 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 there he is. Mm-hmm. Boom, got him. And before you can even say got him, his head is coming up through the ice every time I do it.
1: <laughs> well, um, It's like, oh, that's done. Yeah. I mean, to me, as a lot of things in fishing tend to be, this was the more of a realization of a long-time goal. When I first got into ice fishing, like, as a kid, it was on a lake called Lake Wall Popback in Pennsylvania. And I remember when we were going to visit this lake, my dad told me that there were walleye in this lake. And up until then, I'd primarily fished for, like, you know, trout and bass and, like, sunfish and just shit like that because that's what was accessible in most of the bodies of water that we had gone to. Up until this point in time, I had never like gone to like a species sort of destination. You know what I mean? Like I'd never like gone somewhere with like the promise of, oh, by the way, there's something that you don't normally come in contact with uh-huh. swimming around on the bottom. So we got into ice fishing that year. And the first goal that I ever had ice fishing was like, oh, I'm going to set all these tip ups and I'm going to catch a wall. I was like 11, 10 years old. And, uh, you know, I just never did it. And I ended up not ice fishing very much more because it doesn't seem like we get that much ice in Pennsylvania, you know, as of late, anyhow. hmm And um, so pulling a walleye through the ice was like, 10-year-old me was real excited about it. And Did you catch this one on a tip up or did you jig it? No, I jigged it. I jigged it with a 13 flashbang,
2: no less. There uh, you go. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, we got um, a bunch of pictures of it. Um, well, uh, yeah, man, I, cause I, I'm no walleye ice expert, but all the walleye ice guys that I've hung out with, yeah. they're like tip-ups isn't the way to go for walleye. No. Like you got to tease them. You got to make them, you got to make them want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And another like kind of like unique
1: challenge out here is that we can't use live bait in the form of shiners or anything like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. basically all your tip-ups are dead sticks. I mean, we do like night crawlers for trout, which like move around a little bit, but it's not like the same as. You know, yeah. having a shiner on there. But anyhow, yeah, uh, I, I, I really issue that apologies more of a way to kind of segue into talking about my first walleye. And that was a pretty great experience. And I think my attitude is going to change on them. I kind of do see the appeal of the walleye, particularly when you eat them, dude. Holy crap. That is a good mm. eating fish. Anybody who said walleye through the ice are like the best eating fish, man, I, I think you're probably right. Anyhow.
2: Any any freshwater fish through the ice is better eating. I'll give you that much. Yeah. Cold water, baby. That's yeah. where it's at. So cool. So you're a walleye guy now. Yep. You could you could walleye just only. transcribe everything you just said for the foreword of your book, Walleye and Me, yep. by Hayden Samak, when yep. that comes out, a memoir. Anyway, <laughs> we've gone on way long enough here. Um, you know, so you're, you're pitting yourself against those walleyes. Now we're pitting ourselves uh, against each other. Let's not forget this is a competition. At the end of this dog and uh, pony show and, and walleye uh, extravaganza. Our mentor, colleague, and audio Adonis, Phil Taylor, will declare a winner. And uh, you, sir, have the floor to lead off this week with news. Okie doke. So, <laughs> this morning, <laughs> we're going to talk a little
1: bit about Hatchery Steelhead because I'm sick of talking about how bad it is for wild steelhead in the Pacific Northwest. Ooh, okay. Of course, we are going to talk a little bit about that, too. <laughs> of course you are. Um <laughs> So this is going to be a little bit of a non-traditional fish news story, as I'm going to kind of touch on a couple different stories to paint a bigger picture. The overarching theme of this story comes from the News Motion, who reported on researchers exploring new ways to make hatchery steelhead more like wild fish. Now, we all know that hatchery steelhead, uh, they don't spawn even kind of as well as wild steelhead. Spawning ability or the ability to reproduce in general is known as fecundity. Uh, now, that's one term. There's another term, another F word, if you will, and that is fitness. When fisheries biologists use the term fitness, what they're describing is a hatchery fish's ability to survive and thrive in the wild. So, right, fecundity and fitness. Right. Speaking of wild, let's talk about the state of wild steelhead. Here are some statistics. Isn't that what you just said you weren't going to talk no, about? I said I was going to touch on it. Here are some statistics <laughs> as reported by the Vancouver Sun. In 2020, less than 40 steelhead ran up the Chilco River. Uh, In the Mm. Thompson River, just 203 steelhead were observed returning to spawn. I think that was last year. I'm not sure that was 2020. Um, The Vancouver Sun also reports that 10% of the steelhead population in the Chilcotin River system, and by 10%, they mean two fish, uh, they ended up in gillnets. Ugh. It's very, very not good, and that's like That's mostly interior Brutal. steelhead, but yeah. So it, it makes sense that we're investing in the betterment of these fish hatchery programs, uh, not only to increase angler opportunity, but also as a way to eventually boost the numbers of fish that behave as if they were wild, and hopefully increase the population to
2: self-sustaining numbers. So l- let's talk about the. I, I'm gonna wait for the end here. I want to hear the conclusion, but I mean, what you just said, like. You know there's a lot of people listening in the Pacific Northwest who are totally disagreeing with that. Oh yeah. Statement. I mean I mean sure. Look, you know?
1: and, and, and real quick like to touch on that I understand and like yeah, I'm I'm of the mind that habitat restoration and like aggressive environmental policy is probably the way to go in order to maintain these wild steelhead stocks. Yeah. And you can look at other examples in wildlife management like for instance um you know one of our great success stories in american conservation right is the reintroduction of the wild turkey and when Mm -hmm. they first tried to reintroduce the wild turkey uh they they would raise these poults you know in captivity and then they would release them and you know what what you essentially had there was a put and take program because those wild turkeys wouldn't really develop you know, populations that could sustain themselves. Like they weren't reproducing in meaningful ways and it was just kind of a waste of time and money. Then what they did was they recaptured a lot of wild, wild turkeys in like strongholds. Like I think in Alabama, like places like that. And then they repopulated their native range with these captured birds. Mm -hmm. A couple decades later, you know, we got wild turkeys everywhere. So I don't think that like stocking, basically stocking a bunch of steelhead is the answer. But then I also don't think that, you know, raising, I, I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely analogous. Like just because it didn't work in that instance, doesn't mean it won't work in this instance. And you also got to like sure. think about the purity of the stocks
2: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the
1: specific strains. And, you know, I, I don't know, man, I I think it's like a discussion to be had. I'm not, maybe not the one to have a, discussion about that if you know a fisheries biologist in the Pacific Northwest I talked to him or her so anyway all that aside we're going to try and talk about a uh, an, an instance where these programs aimed at giving hatchery steelhead wild qualities is like kind of being implemented and, and we're so because of that we're going to talk about the American River in uh, Northern California essentially
2: right it's like for lack of a better way to put it They're trying to make better hatchery fish. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: Yeah. That's a good way to put it, it, right? Yep. Okay, so per the Stockton record, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife have already uh, observed over 900 fish, a mix of wild, hatchery bred, and juvenile fish, entering the hatchery, which is up from just like 300 fish counted at the same time last year. Uh, Now, they're citing... Yeah, they're citing higher than average flows as one of the main reasons uh, these fish are having a good year. So earlier we talked about fitness and fecundity. Again, we see reduced fecundity of these hatchery fish because they don't have the same fitness as wild steelhead. Basically, hatchery fish go into the ocean and get their asses kicked. <laughs> <laughs> so right. this returning population of steelhead is a good thing. And the reason that it's a good thing is that the American River Fish Hatchery seems to be experimenting with ways to reduce negative consequences associated with hatchery fish. And it, I guess it appears to be working. Um, mm-hmm. According to the CDFW, that's California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Fisheries biologists at the American River Fish Hatchery are hoping to perpetuate a specific strain of steelhead, and that's the Eel River mm-hmm. steelhead, which is it's – it's a larger strain, right? The, right. Whereas a lot of these wild fish get up to like you know, 8, 10 pounds. These ones kind of tend to top out at 15, 16, 17 pounds. So, um, they can
2: fight off the giant squids and stuff when they're out there. Yeah, in the ocean. yeah,
1: exactly. They're larger and therefore yeah. presumably tougher. The American River Fish Hatchery is doing this by selecting fish exclusively of the Eel River strain. Like when they return, they go, okay, that's an Eel River strain. That's an Eel River strain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're only spawning returning hatchery origin fish, right? So, they're kind of going, okay, this one went out in the ocean. It came back big and strong. That's probably a good one. So, they're like, you know, Got working it. on selection there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's an example of ways that we're trying to use the hatchery system or fisheries biologists are trying to use the hatchery system and put a hand in selecting these fish that are going to have higher levels of fitness and higher levels of fecundity. And hopefully because of that, make a, a, a stronger strain of fish that could one day have self-sustaining stocks. So, I mean, Is this good news for steelhead on the level of a complete return of a wild run? No. But is it a step in the right direction for hatchery fish looking to create a sustainable population of steelies? Like, maybe. Um, Either way, it's a big year for steelhead in the American River, and no matter how you look at it, that's a good thing for anglers.
2: It's it's very interesting, and I, I appreciate what they're doing, and I feel like no matter how you slice it you're going to get a different answer from anglers out there on this is good or this is bad. And you know what? I I fully understand it. I'm not well-versed in West Coast steel, but I will say, and I think most anglers would agree, wild fish are just cooler. They're Mm -hmm. sexier. That's always what we want to catch. You love Great Lakes steel. I love Great Lakes steel. Are they fun? Hell yeah. But, like, is that as cool as catching a wild? No, it's not. So, man – it's kind of like is this is this really maybe sort of the 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 best thing we can hope for is building a better hatchery fish based on fish that are going to the ocean maybe but then if I look at it like if my beloved striped bass all went away mm-hmm. all those wild runs up to Delaware I mean everything we have here if it was just like down to nothing and somebody was like mm, we can create hatchery fish and and maybe <sighs> it's hard to say like it I would say yes, it's better than nothing, but it would never it would still never be the same. You're still not fixing like the big problem, but that doesn't mean it's not cool science. Like I said, I appreciate what they're doing. Right. Um there comes a point
1: with like any sort of wildlife management, right, where you have to look at what you have and what you can reasonably expect to regain. Right. Yeah. In a you're lot right. of cases, you're saying, "Okay, I would rather have wild fish, and I think everybody would agree with you. There is not a single fisheries biologist that would be like, no, we'd rather have hatchery fish.
2: Of course, of Uh, course.
1: But the question I would pose to them is this. If you could have a strain of wild steelhead, because, you know, like the Eel River steelhead, that's where a lot of these like stocks are coming from. If you could have that strain of steelhead preserved in such a way that like they continued to exist even if the genesis of that was an artificial hatchery condition if you don't have nothing anyway why not have that
2: oh i completely agree and i think that's what i'm saying like like i it'd be foolish to be like stop this madness wild fish like you no, know, like these people are doing some cool stuff, and it is there is a preservation tactic there. Yeah, you know and again,
1: we're I mean? we're not talking about like putting it in. Uh, you know, we're talking about the American River here, and if you don't know sure. it, like the American it's, River, yeah, it's, it's born, like yeah. it's in Sacramento. You know what I mean? It's, right. It, you, we're not right. we're not talking about doing in like the you know the Babbine, right? But
2: it could be a model for that if it ever got to that. Well, theoretically, it could be a model for that if it works. I, but I think,
1: as with so many tools in conservation, I think it can be tailored to like the fishery in which the biologists are discussing like is right. is that model for the American River going to be the same model that like you know they take to the Fraser? No. No, of course it's not right. going to be the same model. Right.
2: Well, I would I, w- I yeah, I will say like I know we got some steelheaders listening right in. Let us know what you think. I would I'd be happy to read some of those responses, sure. you know, in a show down the road. Please enter your password.
0: You have one unheard
1: message.
2: Hayden, where are you? We were supposed to be at my parents' house an hour ago. I'm on my way with the dog. You're out fishing. We need to have a conversation when you get home because this is getting absolutely ridiculous. Call me when you get this. End of message. Delete. Press seven. Save. Deleted.
0: For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece
2: of earth. So I'll move it over here from uh, fish we're trying to get more of to fish we are completely trying to get rid of about that. Uh, And and I will, I got to say, I was tempted to grab a story for, for this week with the following headline. Hamas claims it has captured an Israeli spy dolphin equipped with weapons and capable of assassinating its fighters off of Gaza because the image of the dolphin with the spear gun on its head is just straight Austin Powers. You know, I have one simple request and that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. But while it was intriguing... It was just too far off the mark. Like, it was just too far off the mark. Uh, plus, so many of you sent along the catfish story out of Texas. I felt covering it was the right thing to do. So let's go to Texas and learn about um, an invasive species that's a real pain in the ass and offer zero benefit to anglers. Absolutely none. So we are talking about the sucker mouth armored catfish, otherwise known as plecos in the aquarium trade. And according to the story on Yahoo News, a team of researchers from Texas A&M and Texas State recently pulled 406 suckermouth armored catfish from the San Marcos River, quote, during a dewatering event at a public park. So scientists are hoping that studying some of the fish collected will help them figure out how best to control them. The um, story says, originating from the waters of South America, the suckermouth mouth is an aquarium fish that was released into the wild and has grown out of control, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department said. The armored catfish is a long way from home swimming around Texas waterways, but it has thrived anyway to the detriment of the state's natural ecology. Um, so now these fish might be commonly labeled as plecos at the PetSmart. mm mm-hmm. I don't know if you had these as a kid. I always called them algae eaters.
1: Yeah, I had these as a kid. And um, if you remember, uh, a couple months ago, I told a story about uh, my- The fish
2: tank that burned your house down almost. Yep, yep the fish <laughs> tank that almost
1: you know, killed my entire family. And uh, there were plecos swimming around in that thing. Yep, Those were always yep, my so favorite yeah, so ones, you, man.
2: Uh, Oh, see really? Because I was gonna say like if, 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 a lot of people had these when they were a kid, and yeah. the appeal was they were supposed to eat all the green and brown algae in your tanks, mm-hmm. which was great because cleaning fish tanks sucks, and Does. when you're a kid, a lot of times your tank just goes to complete hell. It's just yeah. like you know disgusting. But I was gonna say other than that, like they were I thought they were the most useless, ugly, boring addition to any tank oh right really? like, they don't they don't do anything man i see the, the appeal to me was like they kind of looked like sharky. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. I thought they were just like an eyesore, like just sucked onto the glass somewhere. Like they would move overnight once and not again all day. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Well, I got a question for you, hate you the quick. pleco. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Did you ever try and catch any of the fish in your fish tank when you were a kid?
2: No, I never did. <laughs> and I even had later in life some game fish in the tank. I loved feeding them, but no, I never <laughs> caught them. My brother and I did try and catch that pleco once or twice. Oh, yeah, but it was—I'll bet it was hard. Which is kind of going to tie into the rest of this story, uh, because uh, the thing is, they are apparently indestructible. Yeah. So, according to the piece, and doesn't this sound familiar, snakehead lovers? They can breathe out of water for quote at least twenty hours and walk on land. How they would calculate this at roughly two point three miles per hour? No, Um, one of them. Yeah, that's what. That's that's well. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. For how long? Like if it can up move to, apparently up to 20 hours, if it can breathe out of water for at least 20 hours and walk 2.3 bro, miles I, per hour, I transfer the two. I
1: have friends that
2: cannot maintain a
1: 2.3 mile an hour <laughs> pace. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they can get from center city to the Philly airport in 13.9 oh, minutes. God, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, one of the most common ways they get moved is by birds because plecos are really easy targets, but they are so sharp and hard and spiky that a bird usually drops them pretty quickly. Oh. And assuming they survive the fall, depending on how high up they are, um, quote, the fish could potentially walk for hours until it finds a body of water. That's
1: horrifying. That <laughs> sucks, man.
2: <laughs> they can't swim for more than 10 minutes straight. So how they can walk for hours, I don't understand. They're a lazy ass fish. Um Now, while these fish are primarily eating algae and plant matter, they do compete with some native species for food. But the story says they've also taken over in parts of Florida, and there are so many in some places, they'll actually swarm manatees to eat the algae off their skin. (laughs) And there can be so many plecos on on the manatee that it gets severely stressed out, like mad manatee stress. So that's clearly an issue if you're into manatees. I got a manatee story Um,
1: to tell you when we're off the air in a minute.
2: Okay, fair enough. I, I do too, uh, kinda. Now everybody's gonna be curious. Oh, I'm gonna be curious. <laughs> uh, my Yeah, mine ends with a, a cracked transom on a flat skiff. Anyway, um, <laughs> so a, a, a bigger issue with the catfish than what they eat is actually how they like to burrow in soft banks. Uh, and the pe- people in Texas are worried that's gonna ramp up bank erosion and like destabilize river banks and things more quickly. Mm. Uh, so you know, invasives never good, right? Of course, but this one has absolutely no silver lining, and I, I'm not surprised this happened because those fish—I don't know about yours—but they, they eventually get big in your tank. They mm-hmm. live forever, so whether it outgrows the tank or you just decide to like go to college and you don't want your tank anymore, like pet stores don't want those things back, right? You can't flush it because it would be like flushing a metal porcupine, <laughs> right? You can run it over with a truck and it'll be fine. Um, But in the wild, it's not good for bait. It's nothing you can target. It's just pretty worthless. So uh, my opinion, ban them. Like, honestly, if if they're that much of a problem, we've banned so many other aquarium fish that were much prettier and more interesting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, hashtag stop the pleco. Uh, They're a stupid fish anyway. So there
1: you go. Uh, You know, it really is like an interesting thing. Um, It's weird to think that when you're talking about buying like mammalian creatures... Or like 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 a, like a serval cat or something like that. A
2: spider monkey.
1: Yeah, there's so much red tape, <laughs> and
2: the yeah. likelihood right, yeah.
1: of those things finding each other in the wild, even if you were to uh, release them, is not particularly high up there. Yet you can buy like all sorts of like invasive fish, and you can buy breeding populations basically of invasive fish. Yep, that could easily find their way into a waterway.
2: And like that's like still totally okay. Because it's fish, dude, it's underwater. Only certain people care. People in the neighborhood would be worried about a couple loose spider monkeys. They don't give a shit that there's armored catfish in the pond out there. That's just the that's just the reality. That's just the reality. Yeah. But anyway, um yeah, there you go. Everybody who wrote in, thank you for that one. Armored catfish. Done and done. Let's go to Phil. What does he want swimming in his river hatchery? Steelhead or uh plecos? And after we hear from Phil, we're actually going to hit end of the line. And this segment is kind of the uh, antithesis of an article I published this week on the Meat Eater site uh, for misconceptions about mousing for trout. How about that? So give hmm. that a read. And if you decide mousing for trout sounds like too much work, forget that article and pay even closer attention to the forthcoming end of the line segment. Hey, Hayden, you're the winner this week. Ah!
0: I just can't help but feel bad for these hatchery steelhead. I mean, that would be kind of like if a human were to spend most of their formative years playing trombone and video games, and then eventually down the road, maybe they got a job in an office full of self-sustaining hunters and outdoors people. I mean, can you imagine what that would do to my... I I mean, this person's (laughs) (sighs) self-esteem?
2: Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert.
1: If you listen to my last end of the line on uh, Swiss Wings, you know I have a soft spot for fishing-related nostalgia. So it should come as no surprise that we're going to walk down those familiar back roads again now with a bait I believe every angler has had an experience with at one point or another. I think everyone knows the smell, that musty, sweet, funky odor emanating from... Pretty much every tackle box. You know, it just smells like fishing. I also think that everyone who has used this particular item has had the shared experience where after a day on the water, you walk in and a loved one gives you a kind of bemused look, then gets closer and says, you have glitter on your face. Of course, I'm talking about Power Bait. Now, Power Bait is actually the brand name for a bunch of Berkeley soft plastic creations, but the form I'm talking about is known as Power Bait Dough. Before we get into Power Bait, let's clarify something. Berkeley has been around for a while. The company was founded in 1937 by a young man named Berkeley Bidell, selling flies in Spirit Lake, Iowa. Let's fast forward. It's the mid-80s, and Berkeley has since been taken over by Berkeley Bidell's son, Tom. Looking out for the next big thing, Tom Bedell becomes focused on attractants and enlists the help of Dr. Herman Clearcoper, a fisheries biologist from Texas A&M who invents Strike, Berkeley's first scent product. Strike, however, had a major flaw. It was a topical scent product and washed off baits easily. Bedell knew he needed to develop a longer-lasting attractant and puts chemist John Prochnow and fisheries biologist Dr. Keith Jones up to the task. Through meticulous research over the span of three years, Prochnow and Jones began to develop what would become power bait by reverse-engineering natural prey, breaking that prey down into basic molecular components and amino acids. To test the palatability of these individual elements, they soaked cotton balls in their formulas and fed them to fish in their lab. They soon discovered that no single element was having the effect that they wanted, so they began testing combinations of natural and synthetic compounds. These combinations proved to be more effective, and they eventually landed on an attractant formula we know today as powerbait. Powerbait comes in many forms. Notably, it's integrated into Berkeley Soft Plastics. But the form I'm most familiar with is the Powerbait Dough. As any stalker fisherman knows, those pellet heads just can't seem to resist that scent-infused Play-Doh floating tantalizingly just off the bottom. I still remember fishing Salkin Creek with my grandpa and him carefully showing me how to knead little corn kernel-sized balls of the stuff, then how to carefully mold it around my hook. An interesting note about Berkeley Powerbait Dough. Many folks seem to think it's toxic, and that's not the case. Uh, The dough itself is made of a heat-treated mixture of PVC powder and oil resin and is completely digestible, although it is very obviously not for human consumption. So uh, please leave the eating to the fish. If you've got something on the end of your line that you think belongs on the end of our line, feel free to write in to bent at themeateater.com with your suggestions.
2: And if you've got a good story about power bait, send that in too you know what man i vividly remember the very first time i ever used power bait for trout mm. like i remember hanging out at my grandparents house the night before opening day of the trout season in jersey and my grandfather um he, he'd just gotten back from the bait shop and he, you know he picked up our night crawlers and mealies and salmon eggs and he busted out this jar of power bait and said something like you know here here's some here's some new shit the guy was saying we'll catch more trout than anything like super skeptical like it was almost like an ad on sale. Like the guy got him. Right. Like, here, right. sir, you should try this, you know? Right. How, how'd it work? <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't recall if that uh, OG bottle of orange PB caught trout or not on opening day, but it must have because, like, my grandfather was never without it again. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, from there on out, he had power bait. And I even think he kind of phased out salmon eggs in, in favor of it. So uh, it definitely caught fish. I just don't remember if it did the first time out, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like the thing that, you know, I I mentioned this in the thing, but the thing that I think about when I think of power bait is like it was almost like every person used power bait to try and like seam seal the inside of pockets in their like old school fishing vests. You know what I mean? Like everything, it would be like it just had a way of, like, crusting in there, and, like, I just feel like every, like, creel... Oh, yeah, or, it'd like, be
2: in your zippers. Yeah, it'd be ugh. everywhere. Yeah, because you would you would get it on your fingers and, then like, wipe it here, and then it would yeah, like, lock I can, into the fabric I feel like and I can stay crusty. Smell it. I feel like I can smell yeah. it right now. Uh, exactly. But, you know, what, exactly.
1: whatever gets your limit, right?
2: Yeah, oh, totally, totally.
1: Well, you know, it, it's perfect that you bring up uh, trout fishing as a little kid because we've got a question in the bent helpline this week that speaks to any parents or grandparents out there that have a little limit catching machines like young joe used to be
2: what are you laughing at martini you're, you're not an idiot <laughs> huh you're not a damn loony now boy you're a fisherman <laughs> Best! what's your emergency
1: all right, uh, so today on the Bent Helpline, we have a, uh, a question from Evan Taylor, who writes, Dear Bent, let's say I am fishing in a state where a human does not need a fishing license until there are 14. <laughs> That's an interesting way to say it, kid.
2: It's a very interesting way to put it, yeah. And let's say,
1: I like how this is all like framed in a hypothetical, and let's say the daily limit for bluegill in said state is 25, for easy math, per day. If I have my kids who are seven and five out fishing, does that mean my cooler could theoretically have 75 bluegill in it? Or is the limit 25 because I am the only one who paid for a license? Now, of course, anyone who was fished with kids know you are never going to limit with them along. (laughs) (laughs) But just for shits. Signed, Evan Taylor.
2: Hmm. You got any thoughts on that? Because I do. I, you know what, man?
1: I don't have kids. This is something that has never come up for me. I'm gonna let you deal with this one entirely. I'm just gonna sit back and listen.
2: Yeah, and dear God, I hope I'm not giving out wrong information here. But my understanding has always been that if uh, that basically legal is legal. In other words, if you don't need a license within your state till you're 14, I think in some states it's it's 15, maybe 13. It varies. But point being, if if you are not of legal age for a license, you are still legal in the state's eyes to be out fishing. So just thinking back to when I was growing up and, you know, uh, fishing with my dad, like on opening day at Trout, I would have my stringer and he would have his stringer. You know what I mean? Um, You know, I... Yes, I think theoretically, uh, you know, now where, where it gets gray is um, I, I've, I've, I've seen instances where, uh, you know, the kids aren't really fishing too hard. But uh, dad puts his 12 on the stringer. That's shitty. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's sort of also that, um, you know, gets into that argument of like when you're saltwater fishing, is it cool for the captain to keep his limit? For the day too, mm. if you want to bring home more whatever fluke or salmon on the great lakes but I think i mean if your' if your aim is true and your heart is pure, okay <laughs> and um you you really you really want your seventy five bluegills or whatever and your kids are legit catching them um yeah legally I, I I think absolutely your your child is is legal to fish and pretty sure this the same limits would uh would apply there,
1: yeah. Um. Now, what if you were hooking the fish and the kids were reeling them in? And I have a follow up question to this.
2: Yeah, but see, now you're getting into semantics. Like Are that's, you? that's the that's the problem with this. Like, is it though? It, it, well, let me ask you this. It, it, let me ask you this. Here's the follow up. What is the difference
1: between that and being on a charter fishing where the first mate is the one hooking all the fish and you're just reeling them in and gripping, grinning with them? Plenty what is pe- the difference? Yeah, plenty of people do that and keep well, the fish, right? Uh,
2: uh, sure, they do. But uh, but again, man, like, so in that scenario, if you're out on a charter boat, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, first of all, if I'm on a charter boat where the mate is hooking the fish and handing well, it Well, not the rod, you, man, not you. He's going to. That is like a pet peeve of mine. Oh, yeah. I will not take a a rod. I will not take, I will not be handed a rod. No, I, fish I, I got on it. I, I got that. <laughs> oh God. I hate that. Right. I hate that. Yeah. But I would say, um, you know, if you're, if you're newbies, rookies, you booked a charter somewhere, you know, and the mates set in the hook on the troll or whatever it may be on. It doesn't matter on the bottom. And he's handing you the rod and you're okay with that. Like that doesn't bother you as long as you're only taking your limit as the angler, then what's the difference? You know what I'm saying? Right, but
1: what I'm comparing that to is like the kid on opening day where his dad is hooking the trout and like letting him reel the trout in. Now you kind of implied that you didn't think like maybe that was so cool.
2: No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding completely. What I'm saying (laughs) is... No, you are misunderstanding what I'm saying. No, no, no. no. What I'm saying is there's... I think there's a little more leeway in taking your kid fishing and your kid standing there fishing with you in the water, waiting, sitting in the lawn chair or whatever. Maybe he's too little. So you hook one and hand him the rod. I mean, this is something I never have to worry about because I'm, I I don't care about keeping a limit right now of anything that my young kids would catch. Like we're, we're not doing that. Right. So that, that, that's one thing. What I'm saying is you go fishing, you bring your kid, your kid's off running around in the woods or looking for fairies oh, or yeah, flipping yeah. rocks and completely unengaged in what you're doing, but you're going to keep his or her six trout too. Right, right, right. You're right. using them as a, a, a body so that if somebody flagged you, you'd be like, well, I caught these six and uh, little Timmy here caught the other six. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, it, I mean, it's, it's getting in the, it's ultimately getting in the weeds. Yeah. Right? It, I mean, you know,
1: it's, it's, it's about, you. it's about effort. If you put in the effort, then it's like whatever. If you're using them as like a justification to keep, you know, X amount of fish without the expectation that they're going to be actively involved in catching said fish, right? Then that's what you don't like.
2: Yeah. I mean, all all Evan's question really spoke to more was the legality of it. Can I keep that a limit, right? You know, against my two kids? I hope Evan's not like, round up all the kids in the neighborhood. (laughs) I'm taking them all fishing. I don't know what the guy's MO is, right? We can't, we don't read minds. I'm sure that's not it. Well, I'm sure. with you. I'll it's tell actually, you what it's, a, it's a good question, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah. And if he's a listener to Ben, I'm sure that he is just an upstanding member of society. <laughs> or he could be yeah. a degenerate angler, Who Or he could be a
2: degenerate angler, you don't know. But um, yeah, listen, I just, just to sort of cover our asses, maybe this varies in different states. I'm not sure, but. I mean, I, I I hold licenses in multiple states every year uh, for freshwater. You know, grew up traveling to fish and and fished all over. I've never heard of such a thing where you know a legal a, a legal unlicensed angler, meaning a little kid, um, couldn't keep fish, know, couldn't couldn't keep their fish or keep their limit. Yeah, there, there's, there's that, no rules there. That sounds right. Well, anyway, that's a great question, Evan.
1: Thank you very much for sending it in to Ben. If you have questions yourself. You can send them to either Joe on his Instagram. You can send them to me on my Instagram. You can send them into the Bent inbox at bent at themeatEater dot com. Um, and yeah, send your question via text. Send in a voice memo. We like those, and you could hear yourself. Who are you on texting
2: there. him to? My number? Did you give out your number? What? Who did you text them to? You said send them in via text. Did you give out your number publicly? Yeah, my number <laughs> five five five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I meant in a, in a
1: text-based format. Yeah, 555. Five, five. Yeah, any, anyhow, look, send your questions in, and we'll do our best to answer them on the Bent Helpline.
2: So that's it for this week. Remember, if you're taking the kids out with the power bait looking for your Mako limit, if it roars, set it free. Also, please, please <laughs> keep those sale bin items Awkward photos, helpline questions, bar nominations, and all that good stuff coming to bent at the meateater.com. Yeah, and keep using those bent
1: podcasts and degenerate angler hashtags. And for the love of God, please stop suggesting quizzes for me. <laughs> no,
2: no. Keep suggesting them. What other movies uh, should we quiz Hayden on? Perfect Storm? Mighty Ducks? Finding I'm open Nemo. to everything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm open to everything except half baked because that would just be too easy. Hey.